and welcome to Creepy Kentucky. I'm Quinn. And I'm Laura. And is there anything that we want to discuss before we jump into this exciting topic? I got nothing. Me neither. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The summer doldrums are here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So this is part one of the Bluegrass Conspiracy. I'm just going to give you a preemptive round of applause because I'm very excited about it. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm getting most of this information from the book by Sally Denton. Yeah. And here we go. We're just going to dive right in. Melanie Flynn um, spoke with her father on January 26th, 1977. Yeah, Melanie, right? Melanie, yep. Yep. She spoke with him on the phone, then left her secretarial job to go to a 5.30 psychiatrist appointment. Wait, I mean, I think that's probably going to be the most unbelievable thing about this story. Right. That someone had a 5.30 psychiatrist psychiatrist after work? (laughs) You know, well, her father is, or was, uh, former state senator Bobby Flynn. Okay. Um, and they had been speaking about dinner, which she never made it to. Uh-huh. Initially, her parents weren't super concerned. Uh, they were used to her independence and her coming and going as she pleased. Um, in the past few years, she had been traveling between Florida, New York, Colorado, and the Caribbean looking for modeling or singing jobs. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, All right. <laughs> her parents knew she liked to party, but they also gave her the space to be her own person. Which, good parenting, yeah. I think. That's what I was getting ready to say. They sound like cool parents. Right. Well, when Melanie's boss called her parents two days later, Bobby Flynn knew something was wrong. Yeah. So he started calling her friends and her boyfriend who was a Lexington narcotics officer named Bill Kanan. Oh. Kanan. I watched the documentary. It's Kanan. Her psychiatrist said she never showed up for her appointment. Oh. Oh. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. On January 29th, Bobby filed a missing persons report for Melanie. Bill Kanan said he would look into it, but hinted that he thought she may have just run off again. Hmm. He said she had been drinking and taking pills last time he saw her, oh. and he acted like he and Melanie were just acquaintances. Oh, okay. And didn't even seem concerned about where she was or if she was safe. Uh, not sus at all. No. So her parents were suspicious of this. Yeah. Um, Especially since they were under the impression that he and Melanie were heavily involved okay. and even planning to get married. Oh, okay. Yeah. They thought she had grown past the running away stage of her life. And even when she would disappear, she would still call them or write to them. Right. Her mother, Ella, had noticed a few odd things that also led her to believe that Melanie did not simply run away. One, 
She had an uncashed income tax refund check in her room. And yeah. two, all of her favorite stuff was still there. Yeah. So she wouldn't have run away without her. Without money. Without money yeah. or her, her stuff. stuff. Yeah. Uh, Im- Ella immediately jumped to the worst case scenario. Kidnapping, quote, white slavery, and quote, Oh my god. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay. I'm not laughing at any of those things. Well, I am laughing at one of those things. There was Okay, so there was a woman that I used to work with at Joseph Beth, kind, sweethearted, lovely, lovely lady, but she was obsessed with the white slavers coming to get her and her son. (laughs) So I mean, that's what made me lose it a little bit. I apologize. (laughs) <laughs> a week later Melanie's car was discovered at an apartment complex in North Lexington Yeah. and okay. in the trunk police discovered a suitcase full of clothes from a visit to Louisville the previous weekend Okay. and a leather coat she had been wearing the day she disappeared hmm. and, However, you, and you said this was in January right? Yes. Okay. Like towards the end of January, so it's still pretty cold. Pretty cold. However, her purse and her keys were still missing. Mm-hmm. Her car was then searched for fingerprints, blood, or any other evidence. After John Vizak took the case. Okay. Vizak asked her father for any information that he thought was important. Uh, he said that Melanie liked athletes, uh, which totally beside the point, but her brother. <laughs> okay. Doug, huh? Yeah, her brother was the Doug Flynn, the baseball player, yep. right? Yep, her brother played professional baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. But just in general, she liked athletes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> David Beckham. <laughs> oh, I mean, not spoil. Well, I won't spoil it. Okay, never mind. Okay. <laughs> she also liked horses. Who doesn't? Well, she's in the right area of the country, then, isn't she? Right. And she wanted to be a jockey, but those dreams were destroyed in 1972. While she was working as an exercise girl at the Kentucky Horse Center, um, a horse she was working with threw her threw her off and landed on her head, and she landed on her head. Oh, okay. Which caused her to be in a coma for a couple of days, and had to stay in the hospital for almost five months. <gasps> oh my! <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah that that would kill your dreams. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, at 19, she married the hor- the son of a horse breeder. Okay. Early into the marriage, he hit her in the head hard enough to give her partial amnesia for wow. a couple of days. After which, she filed for a divorce. Mm. Yep. That sounds Once like a was- good idea. Yeah, yeah. What an asshole. Once she was single again, she was ready to mingle. Good for her. You go, girl. Was fun. I know. Go, Melanie. This time she was mingling with Mario Crespo. Mario was a huge was a horse breeder and a B movie producer. 
He had arrived on the Lexington horse scene after he bought a mansion dubbed Corinthian. What a list of... That's my job. I I breed horses and I make not-so-good movies. Right, 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 right. Good old double Annie there. Um, He entered the bloodstock and hired several women, including Melanie, to work as grooms. That he had dressed in pink hot pants oh to show off the horses. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh yeah! With the hooters of horses. Oh yeah, of course. Jesus. Her parents obviously had some questions about Melanie and this weird guy. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she was always vague about the relationship, saying that it was strictly professional. In 1975, Melanie decided to try out a career as a country singer. Oh, dear. She took the stage named Melanie O'Hara and moved to Cincinnati, uh, where Doug played with the Reds. Yeah. Uh, She got together with a married man there to pay her rent and other expenses while still staying close with Mario Crespo. A year later, Melanie moved back to Lexington and got a job at the Kentucky Athletic Association as a secretary. Okay. In 1976, her social life started revolving around Bill Canan and Andrew Thornton. Oh, Joe. That, spoiler alert, that's the beginning of her downfall. Yeah. Uh, both were police officers in Lexington. And both had reputations for parties, nightclubs, rolls of hundreds, fast cars, guns on their ankles or soldiers, 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 you get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. You get the job. Yeah. All in the name of the war on drugs. Yeah, baby. Okay. So, here's a little bit about Bill Canan. Okay. He was born July 1st, 1945, in Mount Sterling. He did a 14-month tour in Vietnam with the Marines. Okay. He joined the Lexington Police Force and became the first undercover narcotics agent. He used his physicality to intimidate people to get what he wanted. I bet. He was a black belt in karate, and he had ties to the CIA and the DEK. Both on and off duty, he wore an eight-inch dagger on his belt. Because who doesn't, really? Right. I mean... I was kind of getting uh, French planner vibes. (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't be caught dead without my eight-inch dagger. Just slightly less insane. (laughs) Yeah. Slightly more in control of himself. And potentially not sleeping with his cousin. Let's hope not. You never know, though. You never know. I mean, that may just be something that didn't come out, you know. Okay, that is very true. Uh, for some unknown reason, uh, to the closest people in Melanie's life, yeah. she had fallen head over heels in love with Bill. It certainly wasn't his personality, since, as you could expect, he was kind of an asshole. Yeah. He sounds uh, like it. Known for being an egomaniac. Yeah. 
who relished in the whole narc lifestyle and was a devotee of mind control oh, and was able to create an almost fanatical following from his co-workers. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the things that are coming up in this book, I am just, yeah. Okay, uh, well, you know. <laughs> you I'm waiting for one point to come up in the book that I know is happening. Yeah. Yeah. But I haven't made it there yet. Uh, so that's why this is only there's a lot. There's a lot waiting to come up. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> uh, so Bill also took himself way more seriously than anyone else took him. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. So Bizak did think Melanie's connection to Bill Canan and Andrew Thornton was important but didn't really look into it. Right. Unfortunately. Mm. Less than two months later, Bizak publicly announced that Melanie was alive and in Florida. How did he know this? <laughs> he, just, he just knew. But the head of organized crime and intelligence for the Kentucky State Police, Ralph Ross, didn't believe it. Good for you, Ralph. Ralph <laughs> thought Melanie had been murdered. Yeah, yeah, and Ralph. according to his sources, yeah. Drew Thornton and Bill Canan were responsible. <gasps> oh, wow. Oh, dear. Yeah, buddy. Hold on. Late May 1977, yeah. Ella got a call from a woman saying that her nephew had met a woman in Florida that said her name was Melanie Flynn. Ella then called the Zach and listened to police question the witness. But Zach went to Florida to follow up and issued a statement that said, quote, the possibility of, flat, of foul play as being a part of her disappearance has been eliminated. And due to that elimination, the investigation has ceased. End quote. Okay. Okay, Bill. What's his name? Uh, I think Don. Don. Okay, Don. John. John, sorry. Whatever. Whatever his name. Okay, Bizak. I'll just start calling him Bizak, I suppose. Okay, Bizak. Yeah. He said she had been identified by photographs and belongings. And that she had been living in Florida since March. Okay. He did admit that he never actually found her, but claimed to have interviewed 600 people. Oh, I'm sure but he didn't did. Give any names or show her family yeah. any of the evidence. <laughs> so, you believe what you want to on that one. What a fucking liar. Okay. <laughs> Her father wanted former Kentucky governor, A.B. Happy Chandler, to use his poll over the KSP to get them to further the investigation. Right. But neither the FBI nor the KSP had jurisdiction on official investigations unless there was suspicion of abduction or other federal crimes. Yeah, but we 
okay. <laughs> but according to this, actually alive, so yeah, I think that's what their point was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Ralph sent an FBI agent to Florida to interview some of the same witnesses that Zach had. Right. And came to a different conclusion. Oh, okay. The woman they had talked about was not Melanie Flynn. Yeah. I mean... It was a little awkward since the Lexington police had already said the case was solved. And the papers had ran with the story. I bet they did. Ralph took his findings to a reporter and told them to read it, which the reporter did not do. Okay. Uh, I want to know, does she name the reporter in there? Oh, man. No. I don't think so. God damn it. God damn it, Sally. (laughs) In the first week of August, a four-part article by Gary Webb called, quote, The Curious Case of the Missing Playgirl, end quote, was published in the Kentucky Post. Yeah. In it, Bill Canan denied a relationship with Melanie and instead said she had been working for him as an undercover narcotics informant. Okay. He explained that she had been building a drug case against her, but said he wouldn't prosecute her if she helped him infiltrate Lexington's drug scene. Oh, he sounds delightful. What a delightful human being. I know, right? Further explained that Melanie had told her friends and family she was engaged to him as a cover. Oh, yeah. Bill Command was already married. (gasps) Wow, okay. Bombshell. Yeah. (laughs) However, there's nothing on paper saying that Melanie was an informant. Oh. Okay. Hmm. Ralph Ross. Sounds like a little blackmail going on there. Not Not just like some extra legal blackmail not just regular blackmail also I have this to say which I know this is going to be mean nothing but whatever so the Kentucky Post is the Cincinnati I think Cincinnati paper because I don't it's not from around it's not from around here it's like I don't because at that time it was the Herald and the Leader and then the Courier Journal was over in Louisville so I think the post was in Cincinnati. Um, but you remember in that Mary Mars Callan yeah. story? Like they and like they had somebody from the Cincinnati paper writing about that because nobody from the Lexington media would talk about it either. Huh. So I I sense a pattern. Right. Hmm. Yeah, because nobody, because from like nobody, when Mary Marsh Cowan got poisoned with carbolic acid in her own fucking home, like right. that one guy had to, like one guy from like the post, like the editor was like, I'm gonna make this a feature, like, and wrote several articles about it. And the same thing is happening because the Lexington media won't talk about shit. Because they're too buddy-buddy with everybody that's, like, doing this shit. Right. Fair point. 
Fair point. So, Ralph Ross finally got his jurisdiction yeah. on August 13th when a purse washed up along the Kentucky River during oh. a flood. Oh. It was sent to a crime lab with the state police. Okay. Inside were two medicine bottles, a tube of lipstick, and a perfume atomizer. Mm-hmm. One of the bottles was identified by Ella Flynn as being Melanie's antihistamine. Okay. Which was confirmed by the crime lab. Wow. By this point, as you can imagine, the Flynns were not very trusting of the police. Oh, no. Doesn't sound like they should be. And had come to the mindset that Melanie's body would never be found. Spoiler. Wrong. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Spoiler. Sorry. Uh Uh-oh. Melanie. Drew Thornton had quit the police force two weeks before Melanie's disappearance. Not leaving much of a mark. Unless you consider a brutality lawsuit with no repercussions, not much of a mark. Yeah. Uh, Hang on. Wow. Here's a little bit about Drew Thornton. Okay. He was born October 30th, 1944, while his father was fighting in the war. Okay. When dad came home, the family moved to Paris, Kentucky. Originally leasing their home, but eventually buying it. The elite considered the family decent and hardworking. Even though they weren't from money or from Kentucky, they... uh, What? They were accepted... uh, I I hope this makes sense. Even though they weren't from money, uh, they were accepted... Um, and also active within St. Peter's Episcopal Church. Okay. Uh, Drew went to Southside Elementary for five years, mm-hmm. then transferred to the Sater School. Oh, well, at least they like they had, they must have had some money somewhere. Yeah, they they hit it big with the horse industry. Oh. Uh, he spent his freshman year at Bourbon County High School. Where he did well with no effort. Fearing he would get bored and quit, Drew's parents sent him to the Seminole Military Academy in Seminole, Tennessee. Oh, okay. Quote, it was one of a handful of institutes and academies where southern men of breeding were dispatched to receive their final polish. Yeah. End quote. Yeah. Here, also, not- can I just also add... There's yeah. a perfectly good military academy in Millersburg, like, not that far from Paris. So, they obviously yeah. wanted him out of their hair. Yeah, I am inclined to agree with you on that. Because, yeah. Uh, uh, here, Drew did not succeed as easily. Uh-huh. He got C's in religious studies, history, and English. Um, and finished 62nd in a class of 72. <laughs> okay. Good job, Drew. <laughs> uh, he was a senior in 1962 at the height of the Cold War. And since he graduated from a military school, this gave him a sense of purpose. Oh, yeah. 
while other students at Seveny didn't exactly enjoy the military part of their education, Drew loved it. Uh, He enrolled at UK after graduating and failed most of the first semester classes. And in February 1963, he went to Louisville and enrolled in the Army. He said he wanted to be a paratrooper in the Airborne Division. They assigned him to the 82nd Airborne Division in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Okay. Uh, he was shot in the arm in the Dominican Republic and awarded a Purple Heart and an honorable discharge in 1965. Okay. Then he met his future wife, Betty Zaring, in 1968. Mm. Uh, Drew was taking political science classes while the number of soldiers in Vietnam was growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really, just really wanted to fight in a war. He was upset that he had was too young for Korea, like he enrolled after Korea and left just before Vietnam. Oh wow! So, hoo hoo, right? Yeah. Um, oh, Drew. So Ralph Ross, Ralph Ross had been suspicious of Drew for about seven years by the time Melanie disappeared. Uh huh. Back in 1971, Ralph discovered Drew Thornton was selling drugs with the Lexington Police Force. His suspicions first arose when a lot of marijuana went missing from the evidence locker. That missing marijuana was then found near Drew's home, still (laughs) marked with the evidence tags. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Good job. Good job there, Drew. But as is the theme of this... Nothing came of it. No, of course not. A few months later, one of Ralph's guys turned in a report that said a Lexington narcotics officer said he intended to leave law enforcement to enter the drug business thanks to the connections he made as an undercover cop. Of course. <laughs> like you do, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Ralph was also told by an informant that Drew was selling narcotics he got from a local wholesale company with a pal of his, Henry Vance. Okay. Ralph made a mental note of the relationship that had developed between Drew Thornton and the regional head of the DEA, DEA, sorry, Harold Brown. Okay. Something Drew relied on heavily for protection. I bet. (laughs) Just before Melanie's disappearance, Drew had quit the force, gotten his law degree, and started working at a firm. But Drew wasn't the only person Ralph was suspicious of. Mario Crespo was also in the same scenes as Drew. Yeah, sounds like it. So, Ralph wondered if the two men had ever met. Hmm. Crespo was kind of a dirty bastard. He ran a business that preyed on co-eds and claimed that he could make them actresses and models. But only a select few were chosen to go to Florida or the Caribbean. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Wow. Um, You can guess what his 
interview process entailed. Oh, I bet, yeah. Yeah. He was being investigated by the FBI and the state police after there were reports that his girls were soliciting government officials. Oh, God. And blackmailing them. Usually requesting protection for organized crime from Chicago or Miami. Chicago, Chicago, Detroit, and Miami. Wow. Possibly worst of all, Cleveland. (laughs) (laughs) A week before Millie disappeared, Crespo took six girls from Lexington to Florida to be trained and then would be paid to model lingerie at the library lounge in Lexington, a hangout spot for dealers and officers. Because, you know, they just go together so well. Yeah. Melanie was supposed to go, but didn't show up. Mm. It turned out Drew and some of his colleagues had provided security for Crespo's horse farm. Which wasn't a good look, since there was an investigation open against Crespo. Right. Enter another character in this saga. Raymond James Ryan. Who had ties to, you guessed it, organized crime. Yeah. He was said to have originated with Frank Costello, former head of the New York Mafia. Hmm. She had won big in real estate and oil. He spent a lot of time at his resort in Lake Malone, Kentucky. Oh, okay. In the company of, you guess it again, Lexington Cops. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Of course. His worst enemy was Marshall Cafano, Chicago mobster and hitman. Mm. Ryan even assumed Marshall would be the one to kill him. Oh, okay. See, Marshall had once tried to extort money from Ryan, and in 1964, Ryan testified against Marshall, and it led to his conviction. Which brings us to October 1977. It's a bright and sunny day in Evansville, Indiana. Raymond Ryan got into his car to go to an appointment, Seconds after putting the key into the ignition, his Lincoln Continental Mark V exploded. Oh. Lab reports from D.C. immediately labeled the death a professional hit. Oh, yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah. In October of 77, a Lexington cop and one of Drew's partners, Rex Hall, had approached Ryan selling round-the-clock bodyguard services Ugh. and an electronic security system through his company, World Centurion, okay. which employed off-duty Lexington police. I'm sure it did, yeah. Yep. <laughs> it provided services to CD motels that were known for illegal things like prostitution. Ryan had agreed to come to Lexington to meet with Hall. A couple of weeks after the explosion, Hall called Evansville PD for the status of the investigation. Okay. Now, Ralph Frost was very intrigued by Raymond Ryan's death. I bet. But it wasn't until April of 78 that it would become an obsession. Yeah. An FBI... 
I'm picturing him like Charlie from It's Always Sunny, that Pepe <laughs> Sylvia <laughs> wall. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bit like that. A couple of weeks after the explosion, Hall called Evansville PD for the status, blah, blah, blah. An FBI teletype said the Evansville PD had suspects in the case and that all were former police officers from Lexington. Ah! Oh, my God. Oh, wow. The names were Rex Hall uh-huh. and Ruth Walton. Weird. Weird how that would happen. Drew's fingerprint was also discovered on Ryan's steering wheel. Wow. wonder how that could have yeah, happened. I don't know. Hmm. Weird. Six weeks after the bombing, Hall quit the Lexington Police Force and moved to Florida. Mm. When Ralph went down to check in on Hall, Hall had already been arrested for possession of handguns, shotguns, and one carbine, a Mauser three oh eight caliber rifle, handcuffs, wiretapping equipment, grenade launchers, gas grenades, and a ton of ammo. Wow. Good, good job. <laughs> At this time, Melanie's case was still considered an open investigation, and the trail of evidence was cold by the time Ralph got jurisdiction. It also didn't help that the Lexington Police Department was not being helpful. No shit. There were four theories about Melanie's case. One, Melanie had threatened to tell Bill's wife about the relationship, so Bill took care of her. Two, she knew too much about Drew's activities with the police department, so he had her taken care of. Yeah. Three, she was going to expose the blackmail ring, so they had her taken care of. Mm-hmm. Or four, that she was alive in Florida, which I feel like we've already established. It's probably not true. It's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bill Thornton was a thrill seeker as he grew up, which isn't surprising, as you will yeah. see later. Yeah. Um. So, his marriage with um, Betty, Betty's airing, yeah, was, was strained from the start. No shit. Um, well, when you're married to a psychopath, yeah. Yeah. He would tell her and his close friends that he had been recruited by the CIA. Okay. Yeah. Betty was a school teacher. And the small southern town type of beauty that people like Drew would marry. Yeah. Um, she also thought she was psychic. Oh, cool. Which doesn't come up ever again, but Damn. I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> um, well, not psychic enough to know what her husband was up to. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um... She blamed their marital issues on the fact that uh, Drew just couldn't fit in. Uh, okay. And she blamed his love of violence on the military. Okay. Uh, so she watched as her husband turned more and more into a Bond character. 
<laughs> oh God! <laughs> oh Lord! <laughs> this was one of my favorite things, and I don't even know why. He started calling himself Act Two, okay. um, which were his initials: Andrew Carter Thornton the Second. Oh my God! So Act Two. <laughs> what a fucking dick! Soon, Betty realized she had more in common with his enemies. And the two divorced in 1970. Congrats to Betty. Well done. Yes. (laughs) Also in 1970, I I imagine after the the divorce, kind of like a midlife crisis type deal, Drew got really into martial arts. Especially karate. Of course he did. He was interested in ninjas (laughs) and studied modern ninja techniques. Yeah. Big Bruce Lee fan. Yep, yep. He he sounded more and more like Fritz Kleiner to me. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus. I know the two stories have nothing in common, but... I mean, I wouldn't be too sure. Like, I don't know. There's a level of insanity that runs through both stories. That's true. You know? That's very true. Um, In early 1970... Drew started a 15-year crime spree. He would become infamous for going overboard with the violence. And overboard in a different way. Yeah. (laughs) Shortly before Melanie disappeared, Ralph infiltrated an underground operation in Lexington. One of his informants had come to him with quite a tale. He said he had been hired by a high-level Lexington police officer to escort a batch of guns from Kentucky to South America. Ooh. Uh, Ralph told him to accept it and to report back. Um, so he drove from Lexington to Huntington, West Virginia, and got on a cargo plane loaded with AR-15s, Ingrams, Uzis, AK-47s, and military explosives. Okay. The plane landed 24 hours later. The informant didn't know where he was, but the soldiers that had been waiting for them to unload the weapons were speaking Spanish. Okay. Ralph took this info to the FBI and U.S. Customs, and a few weeks later, the CIA. Oh, good. Then, the informant vanished. (gasps) Oh, shit. Oh shit That ain't good It was likely he was killed Ralph convinced himself One of the agencies was working with him Which Mm -hmm. got Ralph wondering Where the guns were coming from In the first place Yeah Which led Ralph to Philip Gall and Sons Oh my god are you serious Yes Oh, my God. Okay. They ordered a 1,000 Magnum pistols yearly from Smith & Wesson. Okay. They would sell the guns to the police department. Since the only legal legal way to buy that many guns was if they were for the police. Yeah. The next year, they would just, they would buy a 1,000 more and distribute them to officers in exchange for last year's guns. Oh. Which left them... With extra unaccounted guns. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. 
This gave Ralph cause for suspicion. No shit, yeah. So he called the ATF, where he discovered that the company had a history of being a shade, being shady. But like we've heard so many times already, and we're on page 13, yeah. they avoided criminal investigation. Of course, of course they did. Ralph soon learned that Drew was spending quite a bit of time in Philadelphia with his friend, Bradley Ford Bryant. Okay. And then I will go into Bradley, and then that will be our stopping point. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Ah, so. Good old Bradley. Yeah. Monica. Monica. Okay. He grew up near the Henry Clay estate. Okay. Which I think tells you all you need to know about how he grew up. If you've seen the houses around. Yeah. Henry Clay Estate. Yeah. It's pretty nice. Yep. His grandfather was a former Lexington mayor. (gasps) Oh, my. Okay. He was transferred to Seventy Military Academy, where he and Drew formed an odd alliance. Of course they did. Uh, Of course they did. He was all... Drew wished he was smart, good-looking, popular, and goal-oriented. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but Odd Alliance was Bradley being the leader and Drew being the follower. Huh. Bradley stayed at 70 an extra year to do trigonometry and physics in hopes of being accepted at the Naval Academy in Annapolis. He was rejected. Yeah, both of those sound horrific, so, you know. Right. That's because they were. Yeah. Yeah. He was in the Marines for a while before going back to Lexington to study to be an architect at UK. Okay. Which also didn't go through. Uh-huh. And about this time, he was only hanging out with Drew. Weird. That's a old red flag there. Yeah. Then he met Callie Grace, and they got married in 1967. Mm. Drew got married the following year. Drew made Bradley his best man, but Bradley did not make Drew his. And I think that's where we are going to leave this for part one. Oh, my God. You have got me on such tenterhooks. I am so looking forward to the rest of this. This is awesome. Love it. Love it. Hey, well, yeah. thank you. Oh, man. Like, and I think the thing for for me personally, and I think for probably a lot of people around here, is that, like, every, like a lot of this, a lot of the stuff that happens is, like, right here like we know where it is like we've been there right. we've been by there like the like i don't know if you're going to be talking about the american i haven't made it to that point yet well yeah that part of the book because there's some shit that goes down there and that was oh, like boy. between where you and i used to, where you used to live and where i still live yeah you know? so like that's like right right there yeah Exactly. Yeah, it's really cool to actually know the locations and something that's exactly. this. 
Yeah. yeah, it's like when you when the three of us drove out to that place where we think that that murder happened off yeah. Marseille's road. Like that was crazy to actually like be there and uh-huh. see it. And that's the whole thing. Oh, so also I did forget. So you know we've been cleaning out our storage unit, and I found this like there used to be a like a flea market type thing down in Nicholasville. Uh-huh. And there used to be a booth there that had, like, old, like, stuff from Lexington's past for sale. Oh, cool. And one of the things was Idle Hour Country Club, like, little membership booklet. And it had Madison Cowan, Mary Marsh Cowan's husband, listed in it. Oh, wow. And I was like like flipping through it and saw it and then it occurred to me that maybe that's why somebody kept it you know because yeah. she ended up dying that's yeah, crazy that might be why yeah it's crazy it's crazy around here yeah you can say that again yeah and I mean all the oh man this, anyway, yeah. oh, I, what do we want to what the hell when we get to that point? I mean, we could we could what the hell Andrew Thornton like twenty million times <laughs> for <laughs> this, but do we want to do we want to wait and what the hell him at some other point? Uh, I think we should. I yeah. think we should save the Andrew one. Yeah. Um. Bizak. Well, Bizak because he was him? like clearly lying about shit. Yeah. Yeah, or Shanann. Oh, yeah, him too. Or Bill. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think Bizak. Bizak. Yeah, he's making shit up. Yeah. He's what the hell is in the Yeah. And but he's not much of a player from here on out. No, I feel clearly. Like we're still going to see Bill. We're still going to have Drew. Yeah. So. And yeah. what was his first name? Or do we care? John, John Bizak. John okay. Bizak. Okay. So we have an Instagram. We do. And a Twitter. And, and Twitter. Oh, is it? Are we going to call it, it the X? Oh, God, no. We're not calling it X. <laughs> Fuck that Elon Musk all to hell. Yeah, we should really what the hell Elon Musk. We're changing yeah. the name. Yeah, really. Anyway, those are both at Creepy Kentucky. And we have an email. Yeah. At creepykentucky at gmail. Well, it's not at creepy. You know what I mean. You, you get the point. Yeah. Creepykentucky <laughs> at gmail.com. Yeah. All right. And if you have nothing else. Oh, no. We're good. I have nothing I else. I think we're good. Okay. In three, two, one. John. John. Bizak. What? What? The. the- Hell. Hell. <laughs> that was our best one yet. <laughs>